preach, but I, I did tell her what, what books of the Bible I'm going to be in. And she was like, Rick, you do know this is Easter. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. <clears throat> Numbers, chapter 21. Put, put something, put the ribbon of your Bible, do something there in Numbers, chapter 21. We're actually going to start in John, chapter 3. So <clears throat> Numbers 21, and then we'll be starting in, in John, chapter 3. We'll be in, in Numbers 21 in a few minutes. And, and um, <clears throat> I hope that you have done like I have done this week and spent a lot of time thanking God for what he has done for you. Um, this Passion Week that we call it is, a, is an incredible week for us to reflect on the goodness of God in our lives. And I, I hope you've done that. Uh, I have spent many hours this week just, just thanking God for all that he's done. And as I, I started actually several weeks ago praying for this morning's message, and every time I started praying, God brought me to a single verse. And, and I, I thought, that, no, God, that's not in the Easter story. That is not, the, the, this, is, this is my logic here, so just bear with me. I, I, I use the phrase, this is not an official Easter mass, uh, passage. And then I thought, what, wait a second, what is an official Easter passage anyway? And as I started thinking about it and praying about it, and God kept bringing me back to a single verse, um, those of you that are familiar with John chapter 3, what verse do you think he kept bringing me back to? 16. Verse 16. John chapter 3 and verse 16 is probably the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. It is the verse that, in fact, in fact, <clears throat> we probably don't even need to read it this morning. Most of us can quote it. So if you're there, let's let's look at it, and and if you're able to, without looking at it, quote it along with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the great, I, 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 I want to be careful here because I don't want to commit heresy uh, because every verse in the Bible is important. Okay, understand that. But this verse, God has used John chapter 3 and verse 16 in the lives of many, many, many people through the years. And as I started thinking about it, I, I thought that, you know, the, the, the reality of it came to me is that this verse more or less embodies Easter, does it not? It doesn't really mention the resurrection, but that's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it um, <clears throat> as we move along here. But uh, the title of my message, very simply, is For God So Loved. For God So Loved. God gave me a really, just a, a heavy burden to really drill down on John chapter 3 and verse 16. You know, because I don't know if you're like me, but the, the verses that are very familiar to me, when I read my Bible, I kind of just skim right over the top of them. I read them. 
but I'm, you know, I don't, I, I very seldom really stop and drill down on them and, and really try to dig into them and see what God's saying to me. And I did that recently, and I want to share with you what God showed me. <clears throat> because I'll never read John 3.16 the same. My first point this morning, for God so loved, why? Why? As I looked at this verse, the first question I asked myself was, why? Why did God send his only son for us, for me? Why? And, and, and the reality is, if you understand the righteousness of God, it makes no sense that he would sacrifice his only son for a sinful person like me. It makes no sense. So I asked myself, why? And as I, I started looking and... and God brought the very first word of this verse out to my attention. The word for. <clears throat> for. The word for here is an interesting word. For God so loved the world. The word for <clears throat> literally means because. Or it's, it, it is a marker showing cause or reason. So when God stars John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world, we could actually say it this way, because God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Or because God so loved the world, he gave his son. Now, I want to give you a Bible study help here. <clears throat> Whenever I come across a question why, like this one, why did God sacrifice his son? He gave his son why? The Bible always answers itself. And when I looked at the word for and realized that it was a, it, it's kind of what we would call a connector word, I started reading backwards. Well, not literally backwards, but you know what I mean. I went, I went back and started reading the preceding verses. And I realized something. The answer to the question why is in verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life for God. Or because of, because of verses 14 and 15, God gave his only son. Because of what happened in verses 14 and 15, God gave his only son. In verses 1 through 21 in John chapter 3, 
if you have a red letter edition, you will see that the majority of that is in the words of Jesus. But Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a leader of the Jews. Look at, look at John chapter 3 and verse 1. Um, there was a man uh, a, of, of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Jesus in John chapter 3 verses 1 through 21 is talking directly face to face with this guy named Nicodemus. And he says to him in verses 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, for some of us, this passage may be familiar a little bit. Maybe you've read your Bible enough to where you've come across it, but you, chances are you don't understand what Jesus is saying in these two verses. But Nicodemus knew exactly what he, Jesus was saying. He was a Pharisee. He was the he was. He knew the Bible inside and out. He knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And what Jesus was saying is, was in verses 14 and 15, because of the events of verses 14 and 15, is the reason why God gave his only son. Again, that may not make a lot of sense to us, but I'm hoping to help clear that up. Turn over to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, there's a a small event that takes place here in the book of Numbers that oftentimes gets read over. Um, Like I said, you may have read it and and be familiar with it, but let's look at it. Numbers chapter 21, let's start reading in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the souls of the people were much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have, we, uh, have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the, in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our souls loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come together around your word on this incredible Easter morning. And I ask as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ that you would help us to remember what the resurrection is all about. I am so thankful and grateful for this day. We ask that you would help us to be more like you. 
For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The answer to the question why is really simple. And it is buried here in this this obscure passage in Numbers chapter 21. And that is this. Man has a problem. It's called sin. And when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he reminded him of this small obscure event that took place in the wilderness with the children of Israel, Nicodemus knew immediately what the problem was. It was sin. Now, I have a series of slides here I want to I share with you because sin is a problem. Sin separates us from God. And the children of Israel were moaning and groaning and they were complaining. And it was the sin that was separating them from God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Once again, we are reminded of the, of the problem that we all have as human beings. And that is we all have sinned. We all have sinned. Earlier I said because of what happened, God gave his son. I want to kind of narrow that down a little bit. Because of sin, God gave his son. And when Nicodemus and Jesus were having this exchange, and Jesus reminds him in verses 14 and 15 about this event in Numbers chapter 21, Nicodemus knew immediately what he was talking about. The children of Israel were, were, were complaining against God. They were complaining against Moses. They were complaining about the food. They were, it's hot, it's cold, it's this, it's that. It, it, we are never happy, are we? You know, in the wintertime, we complain it's too cold. In, in, the, in the springtime, we, we complain it's too windy. I always complain it's too windy. I, I, you know, I could take the cold and the hot, but I hate the wind. Amen. <laughs> it messes up the fishing. <laughs> Just, you know. But in the summertime, it's too hot. You know, it's too this. It's too. That. We are never happy, are we? Why? It's because of our sinful nature. And it's that sinful nature that causes this separation. It's that sinful nature nature that causes a divide between God and his people here in Numbers chapter 21. Not only do we see a division here, but we see that there's punishment for that division. There's punishment for the sin of the people. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So not only do we see there's a division, but there's penalty because of, because of that sin. The word here in, 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 in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, this word wages is a really awesome word. Basically, those of us that are old enough to remember when we used to actually get paychecks, 
you know. <laughs> Nobody, you know, young people today don't know what a paycheck is. I, I really feel sorry for you. I, I, we have a young lady back here in the Navy. By the way, thank you for your service. But I, I remember when I was in the Navy, I actually got a paycheck. And it was the craziest thing because you you went into the chow, into the uh, uh, um, chow hall or the, 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 that's not what they call it in the navy the galley, the galley yeah hello <laughs> you go into the galley and the guy would be sitting there with all the paychecks and you, and you tell him your name and you'd sign it and you'd step over here and there'd be a guy with a cash box and he'd he'd cash your check for you but it was it, that check represented my wages now it wasn't much. You know, back then in 1980, an E2 didn't make much. But anyway, that's that's another that's another life ago. But that that's what that, that that's what this word means. It means <clears throat> what you deserve for what you've done, and for the wages. So what we've done because of our sin, we deserve death. Number one, why? Why did God give his only begotten son? Because of sin. Number two, how do we fix the problem? How do we fix the problem? We are not told in the scripture, in this this passage in chapter 21, But as I started reading about it and I started thinking about it, I thought, I wonder how many people that got bit by these serpents or snakes went to doctors before they went to Moses. Think about that. If you got bit by a snake, what would you do? Go to the doctor. Or I'd I'd call somebody that I knew, knew how to handle it. You know, I'd do something. I wouldn't just stand there. I don't know. It depends on what kind. You might have no other choice. I don't know. But it's our first response is to try and fix everything ourselves, is it not? So my, my point is this. I wonder what they did. And as I, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought of a guy in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, a guy, a guy named uh, Abijah, or, or, or uh, Asa, his son. Asa was a king. Let, let, let's, let's talk about Asa for just a moment here to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, it says, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So Asa was a good king. If you're familiar at all with the kings of Israel, they kind of up and down and some were good, some were bad. But Asa was a good guy. But. You knew there was a butt coming, right? Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 12. Asa got sick. And Asa, in his 39th year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until the disease was exceeding great. 
Yet in his disease he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. So, um, okay, let let me say this. Please understand, I am not telling you don't go to the doctor. That's that's not what I'm saying. That, That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, who do you trust more, the doctors or God? See, and so often we put our faith and our trust in the doctors and then we use God as a sideline. And as I thought about the children of Israel here in the wilderness, I I, I couldn't help but wonder how many people died before they realized it was a sin problem and they went to Moses and asked for help. I wonder how many had to die I've got another picture for you to represent our problem. Good works in religion. You know, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm by nature a fixer. Uh, I, I like to, I, I, you know, if something breaks, guess what? I have to fix it. I, I, I am not content with just buying a new one. I have to fix the old one. Does that make sense? Uh, I know in, in, in many cases it costs me more money to fix it than, you know, than to just throw it away. But, but that's just wasteful. And, and that's my nature. I'm a fixer. And when there's a problem between me and God, guess what I want to do? I want to fix it. And this illustration here, is a, to me it's a great illustration because the reality is this. I can't fix it. Religion can't fix it. Many of you know me and know that I, 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 I say this periodically be, because it's, it, it's true, but when people in town find out I'm a pastor, they will oftentimes say, oh, you must be religious. And I, my response is almost always, oh, I sure hope not. And they look at you kind of funny. And I, and I try to tell them, like, hey, my church, we, we don't talk about religion. We talk about relationship. It's not about religion because religion will bring you short every time. Titus chapter 3, verse, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of, the, of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Look at our passage here, uh, Numbers chapter 21 and verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, or, or, and said, we have sinned. They finally realized it was a sin problem. It wasn't a snake problem. It was a sin problem. They finally figured it out. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. How do I fix the problem? It's pretty simple, actually. Realize you can't fix the problem. Jesus Christ can. So, number three. 
How is the problem fixed? How is the problem fixed? Look at Numbers 21 again. Uh, Let's read in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a uh, serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So, God tells Moses to make a serpent out of brass and to put it on a pole. Now, I'm assuming, we are not giving given dimensions here, but I'm assuming that it's a very tall pole because the whole point here is that anybody in the camp, and just so you know that the population of the tribe of Israel at this point was in excess of probably 2 million people, so this is a very large landmass, that Moses put this serpent up on a pole high enough so that people, everybody could see it. And then, then he, and then God says, anybody who then looks at it <clears throat> will live. I have another picture for you. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the bridge over the divide between us and God. Jesus Christ is that bridge. But there's still a problem. Where, where, where's my guy at? He's still on the wrong side of the, of the divine. And the, the, the potential problem is this. Moses did what God told him to do. He made a serpent, he put it on a pole. But who had to choose to look at it? It was a choice that the people had to make for themselves. Jesus, this week we have celebrated the the fact that Jesus died on the cross and this morning he rose from the dead. And my point is this, God allowed his son to die on a cross and raise from the dead to bridge this gap. But the problem still remains. How do you get across? How do you get across? In the story in the book of Numbers, they were saved by stepping out in faith and looking at the serpent. They were saved. The application is very simple here. How are we saved? Pretty much the same way. But we're looking at the cross. Every once in a while I'll get asked the question, Pastor, 
you know, I've been reading in the Old Testament, and how did people in the Old Testament get saved? Because we today, and for the last 2,000 plus years, we, we look at what Christ did for us, and we celebrate the resurrection. But how did people in the Old Testament get saved? Well, the truth is, is again, it's very, very simple. They, got this, they get saved the exact same way we do, except they were looking to the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection. And they were putting in their they were putting their hope and their trust in what Christ was going to do for them. We put our faith and trust in what Christ did for us. It's the exact same thing. And in Numbers chapter 21, the, the, the children of Israel that had been bitten by the snakes were putting their faith and trust in a serpent that they could put, they could look to. There's a there's an interesting phrase. <clears throat> if you go back to John chapter 3 and verse uh, verse uh, uh, 14. It says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be what? Lifted up. So the event that took place in Numbers chapter 21 was a picture or a type of what was to come. The, the, the phrase lifted up is an interesting phrase. It literally means to, to be crucified and to be glorified. It's a, it's a dual purpose meaning in this word, lifted up. So it says, <clears throat> let's look at verse, verse four, uh, yeah, 14 again. It says, and Moses lifted up the serpent. Again, it was a picture of the coming crucifixion. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Again, it, this word is, it, it, it is a dual purpose word. It means to be, to be crucified, but also to be exalted or glorified. John chapter 8, verse 28, and, and then said Jesus unto them, when ye were, uh, have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. The cross was not the end of glorification for Jesus Christ, but the means of glorification of exaltation. See, we we praise God for what he did for us. And the picture that was set forth in Numbers chapter 21 was what Christ was going to do for them. Having the serpent lifted up on a pole wasn't enough. Having having the serpent lifted up on a pole it, they still had to trust God to look at it. Having Jesus Christ buried and risen from the dead is not enough. We must trust Christ for that. I have another uh, slide for you here. How do we get across the divine? By putting our faith in Christ, what he did. What he did. 
John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have to put our faith in Christ and what he did. Him doing it isn't enough. We have to put our faith and trust in him. Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. The children of Israel had to physically look. On January 6th, 1850, a snowstorm almost crippled the city of uh, Colchester, England, and a teenage boy was unable to get to church he usually attended. So he made his way to a nearby primitive Methodist chapel where an ill-prepared layman was substituting for the absent pastor. His text was Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For many months the young teen had been miserable and under deep conviction, but... Though he had been reared in church, both his father and grandfather were preachers. He did not have the assurance of his salvation. The unprepared substitute minister did not have much to say, so he kept repeating the text. A man needs a, a man need not go to college to learn to look, he shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. About that time, he saw the visitor sitting off to, the, off to one side. And he pointed at him and he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. The young man did look to Jesus by faith. And that was how the great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was converted. See, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was not converted because of church attendance. He wasn't converted because his his dad and his grandpa were preachers. Charles Haddon Spurgeon probably, well, he's known as the Prince of Preachers. One of the greatest authors and and theologians probably that has lived this side of of the cross put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ not in religion not in his works but in Jesus Christ and it has not changed in over 2000 years Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man can get across the divide without Jesus Christ. But him doing the event isn't enough. 
Which brings us to my final point. Point number four, the gift of the resurrection. The gift of the resurrection. Let's go back to John chapter 3. I hope that you understand as we read this how, how Nicodemus would have been putting all the pieces together in his head because he would have completely understood the story in Numbers chapter 21 that we, that we just talked about. So here Jesus again in, in John chapter 3 is talking to Nicodemus in verse 14 and he says, And as Moses lifted up the servant ser- serpent uh, in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man uh, be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life for God. Or because of that, God gave, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Nicodemus understood it all. It made perfect sense to him. I hope this morning it makes perfect sense to you too. The gift of the resurrection. I want to look at four characteristics and we'll be done. Four really, really quick characteristics. The first one is it was a cherished gift. It was his only begotten son. The word begotten means unique or one of a kind. It was God's only son. The the gift was precious. How many of you have ever heard the term? Oh, it's it is the it, it's not what you give; it's the heart behind the gift, right? But what are what are we trying to say? We're trying to say is you know what the gifts that are the most precious are the gifts that mean the most. And God could have not, could not have given anything more precious to us than His Son. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The second characteristic of God's gift is is this. It cost me nothing. He gave The word gave literally means to give freely and willingly. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. uh, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the scapegoat, if you would, for our sins. He he, He all along planned to pay for our sin. The third characteristic of God's gift is there are no strings attached. There are no strings attached. John chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. As long as you go to church and as long as you give money, then you'll be saved. That's not what it says. There are no strings attached. 
Say, but pastor, shouldn't a person, once they get saved, shouldn't a person live a certain way? Absolutely they should. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. But it has everything to do with our relationship. There are no strings attached. Now, what would you think if I, if I were kind enough to give you a present this morning? Say, say I, 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 don't, I'm, I don't have this, but what if I, I, I had a $100 bill for everybody who was in church tonight, this morning? Yeah, amen. Okay. <clears throat> and I said, hey, it's a free gift. Everybody who comes to church today gets a $100 bill. As long as you come back next week. Would that be a gift? No, that'd be a payment. See, a gift can have no strings attached. If there are strings attached, it ceases to be it ceases to be a gift. The fourth characteristic. It costs Jesus everything. It costs me nothing, but it costs him everything. John chapter 12, verse 32 to 34. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Again, the the term lifted up is talking specifically about crucifixion. And the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up or crucified? Who is the Son of Man? We could go back to the last, the, the last slide, Chris. <clears throat> Who is the Son of Man? It's Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is put our faith and trust in Him. On this Easter morning, Let me encourage you, spend some time today thinking about what Christ has done for you. If you're saved this morning, spend some time thanking God for what he's done for you. If you're not saved this morning, let me encourage you, put your faith and trust in Christ. Because Christ died and he rose. That, that, that's a proven fact. It's a, it's a historical fact. But until we accept the gift with no strings attached, then we cannot get across the divine. The gift is there. Earlier we sang the song, Because He Lives. And I want to I read, I'm not going to sing it, <laughs> uh, but I want to read to you the chorus of that song. I love this song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living just because he lives. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done. Choose.
Christ this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end on this Easter morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would encourage us this morning. If we have not chosen Christ, that we would do so. If we have chosen Christ and we are saved this morning, I ask that you would encourage us to be thankful and grateful for all that you've done for us. You are an almighty, loving, and wonderful God. I am truly grateful for all that you've done in my life and all that you're going to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you,